Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live from a very wet and dreary Washington, D.C. I want to welcome all of our viewers. I am your host, Viz. Thank you all for joining me. I hope you could spend the next hour here with us. If this is the first time you're tuning in to our show and want more information, please visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. This show simultaneously streams to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, Monday through Friday, every evening. I want to say a big uh, thank you and a welcome to all of our moderators on Instagram and on YouTube and all the other platforms. I want to say hello to some of our guests. We have Gypsy Rowe joining us tonight. Welcome, Gypsy. It's always good to have you on the show. Welcome, Cece Wheezy. Khaleesi and Saz, of course, are moderators. Welcome to Lindsay Sparks, who always likes to remind us that she is from Canada. Welcome, Lindsay. It's good to have you back on the show with us. We have Thais with us on Instagram. Alexis. Uh, Jose is also with us. 34 is just joining us and saying hello. Welcome to you guys on Instagram. I hope everyone is having a good day. I really hope you guys saw last night's interview. And if you didn't, I highly recommend you go back and watch it. We had Laurie Cardiel, who was the star of the original Day of the Dead from 1985. One of the best interviews I've ever done. Uh, such a wonderful person to talk to. Easygoing, fascinating conversation. The hour, of course, just flew by. And if you did not get a chance to watch last night's interview, I encourage you, go back, watch it. You won't be disappointed. Lots of great tidbits about George Romero and all the going on behind the scenes of the making of the original Day of the Dead. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The remake, besides the name, had nothing to do at all with the original Day of the Dead. Uh, if it was on its own, it might be okay. But if you're going to, you know, splash the name Day of the Dead on a movie and as a reboot, you better kind of try to make sure you you know you stay true to the original story of course put your own spin on it but yeah no did not like the remake uh i even said that to laurie last night and she actually has not watched the remake from start to finish and i'm like well you know you're not really missing anything <laughs> uh let's see i want to welcome uh colette christopher is also joining us saying how y'all doing lisa wilhelm is with us on Facebook. Welcome to you guys. Hope you're doing well. It is Wednesday. I know for some of you it is Thursday evening. We have uh, viewers all around the world, but right now it is 10 10 p.m. on the eastern coast of the United States. Like I said, I'm just outside Washington, D.C. And a couple of weeks ago, I just want to give you an update. A couple of weeks ago, I said that I was on the brink of making a big announcement and uh, that we are going to be coming to a streaming service. Uh, I want to just give you guys an update. That deal is signed, sealed, and delivered. It's done. It was officially signed on Friday. But I am not yet allowed to disclose where we are going to be going. Now, with that in mind... I want to reassure all of you guys that this live stream is going to go on uninterrupted. Uh, just after the live stream, uh, all our prior episodes, all our episodes moving forward 
are going to be going to this, I can't tell you yet, streaming service. Okay? So the live stream is going to continue uninterrupted. That's why you will hear me say every now and again that if you want to be a part of our live audience, you can catch it, catch us live on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, usually around 9.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. So just wanted to give you guys a little update. I'm not yet allowed to share where we are going, but the deal is done. It's signed, and it's a three-year deal. It's a great deal. We're all very excited uh, here at Dead Talk Live. Uh, we are approaching our one-year anniversary on April 25th, and it feels like 10 years ago in some aspects. In other aspects, it feels like yesterday. But on April 25th, 2020, you guys have heard me say this story. Those of you who have been watching for a while, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I started this show called Dead Talk Live, and I did it at 3 o'clock in the morning because I was just absolutely horrified of doing a live stream. It was, uh, I did not show my face for 34 episodes. So it was basically, you know, the screen, and I had slides, and I would show all everybody the chats, but I would not show my face. It took me 34 episodes to build up the courage to put my face on the screen. And it seems like eons ago, but April 25th is going to be our one-year anniversary, and we are at 300 episodes uh, in that one year. And I want to give out a big, just heartfelt thank you to my entire team. It started out with just me. That's it. I decided to do this. And then very soon after, uh, people started coming on board. And I'm proud to say that I started my own production company, Dead Talk Media, LLC. I'm very proud to say that I have over 20 people as part of our, as part of my production team of Dead Talk Media, LLC, which brings you guys Dead Talk Live. So for all you guys out there who, and trust me, I, before that date a year ago, my brain was nowhere near the hemisphere or even had any clue or any thought I had any chance of being what this show has become a year later and signing a major distribution deal uh, to go along with it. So don't give up. You're, go, go for your dreams. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. If you want to do something, just put in the hardest work you can put into it. Don't give up and you'll make it happen. I'm telling you, I'm living proof what this show has accomplished. We have surpassed over 50 special guest interviews in less than a year. And that's considering that the first four months, our guest interviews were really slim pickings. So it's really over 50 interviews in the last eight months. And it's growing. We're averaging one to three special guests now per week. I wanted to grow to average two to four special guests per week. I love these solo episodes where I come on here and I get to talk to you guys. 
I get to see your uh, responses. I get to talk back to you. I love that fact. I love the fact that you guys have a way of submitting your questions for all of our special guests. Even though not a lot of you use that form on our website, it is available. If you go to deadtalklive.com, we have a submission form where you could submit questions for any and all of our upcoming guests. So I just wanted to point that out. And Colette says it's the sexy bald look, Viz. Thank you, Colette. <laughs> I'm telling you, bald is sexy. I mean, you know, I'm not saying for any young men out there, teenagers, the bald look does not work for teenagers. Enjoy your hair while you have it. For me, I was sort of forced to go the bald way and shave my head. But thank you, Colette. I truly, truly appreciate that. Zoe on Twitter says the solo episodes are my favorite. And they're, uh, believe it or not, guys, these solo episodes where it's just me and you guys and we go over the news and we have our discussions are in some ways more popular than the special guest uh, episodes. And I appreciate that. That really means a lot to me. And thank you. I uh, want to welcome Sawyer, who's just joined us on Instagram. Summer says his best co-host, the wonderful Summer. Yes. Yes, Summer Springer. We Summer is a part of our family, and I nominated her the other day. You know, like, you know, when you're in college, you have your uh, dorm resident uh, advisors. Summer has been nominated by me and voted unanimously to be our Dead Talk Live resident advisor, therapist, you know, go-to person, uh, shoulder to cry on when we want to cry, uh, our sounding board when somebody wants to bitch, you know, and so on. So Summer is great, and uh, she very happily accepted that role in our family. Um Gypsy writes, so that's the secret. I need to shave my head. <laughs> CC Weezy writes, Summer is Mama Michonne. Absolutely. We all know Summer, you know, she's been watching this show. And it's been a part of our team for a long time now. And for those of you that don't know it, there is no bigger fan of Denai Guerrero and Michonne than Summer Springer. Don't even think about saying anything negative about Michonne. You know, Summer just sees stuff that is quite honestly not there. Like the fact when Rick and Michonne first met in the prison. Uh, to date, Summer is the only person that I have spoken to who saw sparks flying. Nobody else has seen it. The writers who wrote that scene had did not have that intention. But but you got to give credit to Summer. She she. She was ahead of the writers, you know? She knew what was coming. <laughs> She's like Viz and like four angry faces. No, I'm giving you a compliment, Summer. You were ahead of the writers. You knew what they were going to do before they even knew what they were going to do in regards to Rick and Michonne and the creation of Rishon. So you're awesome. You are definitely forward-looking and know exactly what's coming up ahead. So, anyways, uh, let's see. 
Uh, Gyro writes, I love Michonne with a big smiley face on Instagram. How can you not love Michonne? Summer goes, Rishon is life. So a lot of days have passed. Actually, no, we did. Yeah, you know, Monday we did the Fear of the Walking Dead mid-season premiere review, which was absolutely fabulous. Yesterday we had Lori as a special guest. So we haven't done any news since last Friday. And there has been a lot of news, obviously, that has come out when you let four four plus days lapse since you do the news. So let's just go ahead and get started. We're not obviously going to be able to get through all of these articles, but, you know, a good way to start is with one of our former guests, the great Barbara Crampton, screen queen herself, Jacob's wife, star Barbara Crampton on channeling her own experience for the horror film. And God bless Barbara Crampton. She was an amazing person to talk to when she was on our show here. And she is still going strong in the horror industry better than ever. And I'm just so happy for her. Having starred in a number of seminal horror films in the 80s, actress Barbara Crampton would have been well within her rights to leave the genre behind for good to explore other professional avenues. After being enlisted by Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett's You're Next, however, Crampton was has been busier than ever, and that is no lie. She has had, like, at least two or three movies come out since the fall of last year, uh, lending her talents to a variety of projects, such as a frequency that it's often hard to keep up with all of them. Decades after projects like Chopping Mall, and then, of course, Reanimator, and from beyond, Crampton continues to establish herself as a genre icon, which adds even more significance to her latest efforts in a movie called Jacob's Wife. Jacob spelled with a K, which is in select theaters, on demand, and digital HD on April 16th. And damn it, I want somebody to explain to me what the difference is between video on demand and digital HD. I brought this up like a couple months ago, and I've not been able to find an answer. Video on demand versus digital HD. Does anybody out there know what the difference is? If you do, please feel free to speak up. In Jacob's wife, Anne is married to a small town minister and feels like her life and marriage have been shrinking over the past 30 years. After a chance encounter with the master, this is a vampire movie, she discovers a new sense of power and an appetite to live bigger and bolder than before. As Anne is increasingly torn between her enticing new existence and her life before, the body count grows and Jacob realizes that he will have to fight for the wife he took for granted. Uh, Comicbook.com caught up with Crampton to talk to her, interest in the new film, her genre resurgence, and the revival of previous projects. Uh, So Comicbook says, dating back to your next, one trend I've noticed in your career in recent years is that while you could stick to collaborating with established filmmakers, You're constantly starring in projects from emerging talents. 
Is it that these relative newcomers are making projects you're most interested in? Or are you actively seeking out fresh perspectives to elevate? And basically then that means is do you want to give newcomers by lending your name to their work and elevate them in the industry? Crampton's answer is it's probably a little bit of both. I really do enjoy helping others tell their stories. And when I did Beyond the Gates with Jackson Stewart, he had worked with Reanimator and From Beyond director Stuart Gordon a little bit as an intern. And I was introduced to him during Reanimator, the musical, and we just stayed friends. And he sent that script to me and said, oh, I'd really like you to help me produce this. Later on, it became apparent that maybe I should even play Evelyn. So that was really exciting and fun, and I really enjoyed the energy and the diamond dynam sorry di dynamism. Is, is that even a word? Dynamism that comes along with the new filmmakers that want to tell their stories. I want to help people if I can. And if they have a good script or have a good part for me and they put a good team together, why wouldn't, why wouldn't I consider working with, with some younger people? I think it's helping me keep young, so why not? Also, I think people are reaching out to me because they grew up on my movies. That's how it started for me in the second round of my career with Your Next. Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard knew me all knew me from all my movies with Stuart and they just reached out to me and said, would you do our movie? So I think this is all happening at a time when these fans who grew up uh, are now making their own movies. So, so they're just reaching out to their favorite people that they grew up watching, not just me, other people as well. That's a great answer. Uh, Gypsy writes, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think video on demand is rental. Digital HD video is that you get a free digital copy when you buy the physical Blu-ray. Okay. Now, there were two major services for if that is what digital HD is. When you, you guys know... Anyone out there who ever bought a DVD or a Blu-ray in the last 10, 15 years, there would be a pamphlet inside the DVD box uh, with a code to uh, redeem the movie for uh, through a digital streaming service. There were two major players. Uh, one was Ultraviolet, which has since been, it, it's no longer in existence anymore. And the other one was... Um, God, I'm forgetting now. There was another major one, too. But anyway, it got incorporated into what's now called Movies Anywhere. And I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe Movies Anywhere is owned by Disney. Uh, if you follow the chain of ownership for Movies Anywhere, I believe that uh, Disney owns Movies Anywhere. But anyway, if that is what it is, Gypsy... Oh, thank you. Uh, again, it's not that big of a difference. Yeah, you go to the store, you buy the you buy the Blu-ray copy, and then you can go online uh, to Movies Anywhere and redeem the code to have a copy 
in the cloud. And what Movies Anywhere is, is basically, uh, it's like a cloud service for digital movies. I'm trying to find the right words to explain it. So if you like Voodoo, if you like Fandango Now, and a movie is, you know, has a contract and uh, rights with Movies Anywhere, when you redeem that movie on Movies Anywhere, it will be available to you whether you use Vudu or Fandango Now or any other streaming service, Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is also partners with Movies Anywhere. So that's how that works. So if that is it, Gypsy, thank you. Also, Google Play as well. Yeah, uh, so not that big of a difference. The only difference is you just go out and buy the Blu-ray as opposed to either A, renting it or buying it through a digital streaming service like Vudu or, you know, Fandango Now. And they have all these names for the streaming services. I, I, I'm going to give you guys the rundown. What they have, what is called AVOD, which is advertising video on demand. Those are like for Vudu, they have a free movie selection, okay? But as we all know, nothing in this life is for free. So when you select a free movie on Vudu, you're gonna get that movie, but with ads. That is AVOD, advertising video on demand. And then you have SVOD, streaming video on demand. That is what a lot of us are the most familiar with. And um, that is Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, you name it, on and on and on. And then you have TVOD, okay? TVOD is transactional video on demand. Amazon Prime is also transactional. Vudu is purely transactional and what TVOD transactional video on demand is is that you're not paying a, a subscription price every month if you want a particular movie you can either buy it or rent it and then if you bought it you have it for life if you rent it it expires after a certain amount of time so AVOD SVOD and TVOD uh, Voodoo was owned by Walmart, Gypsy, uh, but Walmart sold Voodoo to Fandango now. But you're right. At one point, Walmart owned Voodoo and Fandango now uh, bought them out. Uh, I don't know why Walmart would sell uh, their little niche into the digital streaming service as it's becoming the wave of the future and has been for a while now for watching entertainment, movies, television shows, and whatnot. Walmart was in that niche. They've, they've, they've had, they had voodoo for years, but they decided to not be a part of it. And they sold uh, voodoo over to Fandango now. But uh, they're still two separate companies. Fandango now has their streaming service. Voodoo has their streaming service. But if you follow the chain of ownership up, both companies are owned by Fandango now. So, gotta love this industry. Let's move on. All right. So, The Walking Dead. 
five ways Glenn is different from the comic books and five ways he is the same. Now, we all know Glenn. We don't need to recap who Glenn is. Now, number 10, different. Comic Glenn wasn't as much of a hothead against the governor. You know, when it comes to that whole governor arc and thinking about Glenn and his reaction, well, first of all, the governor kidnapped him and Maggie. So, yeah, that would piss anybody off. But I would not really call him a hothead with the governor. Anyway, in season three of the TV series, Glenn assumed control after Daryl left uh, and Rick became delusional. Glenn was shown to be consumed by anger against the season's villain, the governor, and planned to go to war while refusing to listen to anyone else's advice. This was different in comparison to the comics in which Glenn retained his general personality despite being attacked and abused by the governor. Glenn didn't portray the hothead mentality of the TV show and looked to get Rick to regain his senses instead. And on the TV show, it was Herschel that was trying desperately to bring Rick back from insanity. There's no other word to say it. Uh, You know, he lost Laurie. He would not even pick up or hold Judith for any prolonged period of time. So on the TV show, as we know, it was Herschel that was trying to bring him back. In the comic books, it was Glenn. And I'm sorry to the Instagram people, but it seemed, I know Instagram is still going, but Instagram, for me, cut out. So if I miss your chats, my apologies. Now, number nine, how he is the same. His initial boyish attitude. When Glenn was introduced, he was far from the sage and serious personality he would later become. Being a young man thrust into the apocalypse, Glenn had a fish-out-of-water attitude where he would be very open about his fears, particularly with Dale. During lighter moments, Glenn was known for wisecracks and joking attitude that showed off his inexperienced yet goofy nature. This is how both the TV and comic versions were introduced and remained in earlier stories. Now, different from the comic books, Glenn isn't as serious later on. After all, even after all the the toll of deaths that the group has suffered, comic book Glenn retained his easygoing personality. He wasn't immature anymore, but he also did not lose that smile he was best known to carry. Meanwhile, the TV Glenn became entirely serious, like Rick and Daryl, with the character having no more funny scenes or light moments. And, you know, I can think of several light moments Glenn had. First one that pops into my mind, it's more of an Abraham moment, but when they're riding on the RV, in the RV, heading up to uh, Virginia, uh, one of Abraham's best line and because Abraham was just dumbfounded as to why Glenn and Maggie would want to have a baby in the apocalypse. And that's the famous Bisquick line that Abraham used to Glenn. That moment between those two, I think, is hysterical. And it's a classic moment. At least for me, it is. Uh, the comic book's Glenn 
remained a source of comedy on occasion and was notably the go-to man for lightening the mood. Number seven, how he is the same, his underlying love for Maggie. This is Glenn's most recognizable trait in the show, and it was pretty much the same in the comics as well. He maintained his deep love for Maggie until his dying breath and his dying words as well. The TV, the TV's version's love was highlighted a bit more than the comic Glenn, but both of their main stories revolved around their relationship with Maggie. The two versions, Last Dark, was also about Maggie's pregnancy and their potential move to the hilltop. Number six, different. Comics, easily, Glenn easily adapted to his environment. It took a long time for TV Glenn to get accustomed to the environment of the zombie apocalypse and took his time adapting to new communities on each occasion. The comics Glenn was completely the opposite in that he had, a, he had very little difficulty integrating himself. This was due to comic book Glenn lacking the hothead tendencies of the TV version as he never got on the wrong side of the community members and had no problems with survival out in the open due to his knack for scavenging. And for me, I don't really think that Glenn, TV Glenn had much of a problem. And if you think about it, remember when they made it to Alexandria and how Aiden and uh, Nicholas uh, were taking him out to show them how they do things the right way. And Glenn is like, what the hell are you guys doing? Um, ultimately led when they got back to Alexandria, Aiden taking, trying to take a swing at Glenn, but Glenn knocking him on his ass. And then Daryl got involved as well. So I don't think it was Glenn that had the problem integrating, especially when it comes to Alexandria. It's just that when these people who have seen the worst of the worst up to that point come into a community where it's like the housewives of the apocalypse, uh, they're going to look at these people and say, what world are you guys living in? Anyway, number five, how is this? He's the same. Loyalty. Loyalty is a quality that remained the same for characters like Rick with Glenn also retaining this trait for the TV show. Glenn's initial fear of the zombie world did not hinder his willingness to fight for his friends, make this one of his most standout qualities. In the show, Glenn met his end when he went out to pursue Daryl to convince him to return, while the comic book version was Rick's most trusted ally since Daryl did not exist in the comic books. All in all, Glenn was unflinching in his loyalties in both mediums. Now, different. Number four. Comics Glenn was in debt and estranged from his parents before the apocalypse. We hear really no mention of Glenn's family in the TV show. It was one of the comics Glenn's regrets that he didn't get to make amends with his parents before the apocalypse, something the TV series Glenn did not share since this aspect 
about him was never explored. Overall, Glenn from the comics had more of a backstory. And we might still get that. We're probably going to get that. My assumption would be in the spinoff that's coming, Tales of the Walking Dead. He was high in debt due to a number of bad calls, forcing him to hide from people he owed money to. Glenn's estrangement with his parents also meant he wasn't with them when the apocalypse struck, thus never reuniting with them again. Uh, let's see. Gypsy writes, I just looked it up and Fandango is a part of Universal Pictures family. Yep. If you just keep following up that ownership chain, you're going to end up landing eventually to a major Hollywood studio. Number three, how Glenn is the same, his reluctance to kill. And for me, that most notable feature is where he had every right in the world to kill Nicholas in Alexandria. And he still, you know, redeemed him. He did not kill him. He didn't redeem him, but he let him live. Uh, it, it did end up caught, you know, this was after the whole Noah incident, but he just couldn't do it. He couldn't kill him. The group went through numerous situ situations where they had to kill the living in order to survive, but Glenn somehow managed to avoid it. While the TV version did get his hands dirty eventually, he was shown to be distraught by it and haunted by this memory. It was part of Glenn's character for him to be against the idea of killing the living, even though he knew it was necessary at times. The fact that he showed restraint in doing so was what set him apart from the others since Glenn would look for non-violent strategies and solutions to problem that would come problems that would show up along the way. All right, number two, how he's different. Comic book Glenn was Negan's first choice. I think a lot of us know that. Many fans are still sour over Glenn's demise, but the truth is that it was always meant to pass the moment it did. What's different is that the TV series Glenn only died after Daryl's defiance motivated ne defiance motivated Negan to make an example out of Glenn. They're talking about Daryl taking a swing at Negan when he specifically told him not to make any moves. In the comics, Glenn was always Negan's first choice since Abraham was already dead by that point. It was also entirely random as Negan's eeny meeny game happened to end at Glenn. Number one, reason, the same, how comic book Glenn and TV Glenn are the same. He was the heart of the group. While Glenn may not have had a firm relationship like the one Rick and Daryl had, he was still the heart of the group as its, as its moral compass and designated nice guy. Glenn's influence was such that his death motivated Maggie to become a leader, but also caused the characters to lose their spirits since Glenn was not there to raise them anymore. This is why the impact of his death was just as hard-hitting in the TV series 
as it was in the comics, as it meant that the group lost the member with the most humane qualities. Even before that, Glenn's very presence served as a source of comfort for the majority of the characters. Emmy on Facebook writes, it would be awesome if we could see Glenn again. And I really think it's going to happen. That's my opinion. But I really, really believe that we're going to see Glenn again in Tales of the Walking Dead. It's probably going to be just for one episode. But damn, it really would be amazing to see him back. uh, To see Steven back in portraying the character of Glenn Reed. And uh, I think it's going to happen. I really do. Uh, They're not going to announce it. At least not really ahead of that much ahead of time they wanted to be a surprise but the way it was discussed is they're not going to show us his whole family him being in debt problem if they what they were talking about is showing us what glenn was doing as the apocalypse broke out basically that five week period where rick is in the coma and what was going on with Glenn during that five-week period. For me, that's a perfect one-episode show that you can fill it up with amazing stuff. So I think we're going to get it. I think we're going to see it. And to our Instagram people, my internet to my Instagram went down, so that's the reason why I can't respond to your chats. My apologies. So... Sticking with Stephen Yen, he says The Walking Dead did not prepare him for the COVID-19 pandemic. Virus-spreading zombies on TV were no match for the existential dread caused by the real-life coronavirus, the actor told Conan O'Brien. Stephen Yen told Conan on Monday that the real-world threat of COVID had blindsided him even after work, working on a show about a virus spreading zombies for seven years. I'm one of the lucky ones. We have a house, I have a family, it was all beautiful, and we have all those nice things, said Yen, who played fan favorite character um, Glenn Ree on The Walking Dead. But what was crazy about the pandemic is that the battlefield is yourself. You've got to find out about who you are during that time. And there's a lot of stuff to clean up in there. Yen called the early days of the COVID lockdown a moment where everybody was in a panic, fight or flight, as they tried to figure out how to fight against an invisible virus and the whole toilet paper scenario. How we saw people together. No, it wasn't. A rush on canned food or bottled water. We did not have any toilet paper. (laughs) To this day, it's been a year and I still don't get that. I'm sorry. I don't get that. I don't, I I, I told this story before. I'll say it again. I had to go on Amazon and spend $150 and I ended up buying 150 rolls of toilet paper. I was not going to go store to store trying to find toilet paper. I did it well in advance before we ran out. 
I'm like, screw this. I am not going to a store looking for toilet paper. I went on Amazon and I ordered like this insane. No, that that was the package. I think it was like 150 rolls. So we ended up getting the package and I've told this story before and it looked like a hotel employee grabbed hotel toilet paper. He grabbed a box of it and he decided to put it on sale on Amazon. Crazy times call for crazy actions, I guess. I was the dumbass that paid for it and got it, but we did not have to worry about toilet paper. It lasted a really long time. So anyway, uh, I've kind of uh, simulated that on The Walking Dead with what weapons you would choose or people that you would hang on, how, hang out with or vehicles, Yen said, adding that none of this had translated into usable skills. I was like, what do I do? And all I said was, we're all going to die. Wow. The onset of the pandemic in the United States coincided with Yen and his wife, Joanna Pack, moving into a new house with their two young children. Wow, we're so lucky we're going to get this new home. We paid for the home. We're there for two weeks. Then all of a sudden, we were locked in a cage with the four of us, Yen said. The star jokingly added that without his wife's support and planning, we would all be dead. So he was just joking. Yen recently became the first Asian American nominated for an Oscar for his performance in Minari, a film in which he plays a Korean immigrant father trying to settle his family on a farm in rural Arkansas. The actor said he was still processing his Oscar nomination and called the experience of being associated with such a prestigious award in the midst of a pandemic, both bizarre and strange. So, there you guys have it. Uh, let's see if we can watch this little clip. I guess tonight played Glenn on, on The Walking Dead for seven seasons. Now he's been nominated for an Academy Award, good God, for his portrayal of Jacob in the beautiful new film, Minari, which earned a total of six Oscar nods, including Best Picture. Please welcome our good friend, Stephen Yan. Stephen, uh, first of all, yes! Uh, <laughs> I love that you're Oscar nominated and you get a smattering of applause. That sounds about right. That seems right. <laughs> seems appropriate. You know, uh, first of all, I want to just say uh, we have so much to talk about, and I, I do want to talk about the movie uh, because I, I absolutely adore the film. I've seen all the Oscar-nominated films, and it's by far my favorite. Thanks. And I'm not saying that because you're here and you paid me. I'm <laughs> saying it because I really mean all it. All right, we're going to stop it right there. It's, this is not a YouTube video. It's TBS. I don't want to get in trouble with the TBS people. But it's awesome to see him on TV. So anyway, uh, moving on with some more horror news. Uh, CC writes, it's a great film. And I want to watch it. I'm going to watch it. Uh, the only time I have really to watch uh, any kind of new movies and catch up with my TV shows is late at night. After all the work is done, when I finally sit on my couch, everyone's asleep. 
I have the whole house to myself. It's nice and quiet. I can just sit back on my couch and, and you know, catch up on my TV shows. And if I don't have any shows to catch up on, watch a nice horror movie. And that brings me to a point. I, uh, we are having... Uh, I started this new movie called The Toll. And we're having the star of the movie, Max, as our special guest, uh, a week from Friday. And uh, this movie just hit video on demand. I'm halfway done with it. I did not get to finish it, but it is absolutely fascinating. Uh, Max also appeared in the Carrie remake. He's going to be our guest right here on Dead Talk Live uh, a week from this Friday which is uh, that's the 23rd, I believe. So I'm going to, I'm highly anticipating finishing the film tonight. Basically, it's about like an Uber driver who picks up this woman at the airport. And her destination is, you know, she's visiting her dad who lives somewhere way out in the boonies. Uh, so it's a long trip. The driver played by Max, the star, uh, Max Toplin. He's, uh, you know, he plays the character. He also produced the movie as well, by the way. He's kind of awkward, socially awkward with people. Uh, he's making conversation, gets the passenger a little nervous about, oh my God, I just got picked up by, you know, a murderer. They're heading up. They're in a very rural place. Uh, no street lights, nothing. All of a sudden, they see a human figure pop up in the middle of the road, slams on the brake, gets out. No one is there. I'm not going to, you know, spoil it anymore for you. Uh, things start to get really scary from there. And I'm highly anticipating finishing watching that movie tonight because so far it's freaking great. It's called The Toll. And, uh, you know, the big storyline and the, the phrase that keeps reoccurring in the movie is they have to pay the toll man. So it is sort of a paranormal psychological horror. There are really only two main stars in the entire film. Uh, Max Toplin, of course, is the lead star. He also produced the film. And again, he's going to be our guest uh, a week from this Friday. So if you're looking for something to watch... I highly recommend The Toll. This movie right here is called Seance, coming out this year by Simon Barrett. And before we read anything about it, let's check out this trailer. Camille Meadows. It's fortunate that a space has opened up for you here at Edelwein. Our climate can be quite competitive. This is our table. Scram. No, I'm good here. <laughs> light keeps flickering it must be the ghost again some girl supposedly killed herself in the dorms years ago and of course they're gonna do a seance i'm not sure i believe it what if i told you there's a way we can find out So you're gonna do a seance. Spiritus oratio nostra. Oporte la quantur intervos.
have tragic news. One of your classmates passed away tonight. I really think we need to tell someone what's going on. What, that we conjured a ghost and now it's killing us? If anything scares you, hit it in the skull. If someone dies in a bad way, the energy imprints on the surroundings. And if you're sensitive, you can pick up on it. I hope you don't make me regret our decision to enroll you. It looks good. Like, just right up my alley when it comes to horror. Definitely looks good. Uh, gotta check that one out. So, the plot. Camille Meadows is the new girl at a prestigious Edelvine Academy for girls. Soon after her arrival, six girls invite her to join them in a late-night ritual calling forth the spirit of a dead former student who reportedly haunts their halls. But before morning, one of the girls is dead, leaving the others wondering what they may have awakened. Uh, I saw a little bit, you know, quite a, a few horror cliches in there, but that's fine. Horror cliches are fine. You could always put your own spin on them, but that, that looks great. Uh, Colette writes, that looks right up our street. Absolutely. You know, me and Colette love those kind of movies. Let's see what else we got. The Banishing Review. England's most haunted house gets flipped into a flimsy gothic horror rental. Sean Harris steals the show as the occultist Harry Price, but Christopher Smith's gothic horror film isn't scary enough to subvert its cliches. There will never be too many atmospheric horror movies about breathly English women trembling down the hallways of a haunted Victorian mansion and growing paranoid about whether it is they hear it is what they're hearing uh, bump in the night. So it should be an unalloyed pleasure to watch a new one as a musty and well-polished as Christopher Smith's The Banishing. All of the proper ingredients are in place, starting with a creepy old house based on Borley Rectory, which occultist Harry Price designated as the most haunted house in England, some wide-eyed new tenants ripe for the scaring, and an, obsess an uh, sorry, oppressive religious streak that paved all over the manner of dark secrets since an order of monks first occupied the property during the Middle Ages. Stir in some creepy-looking dolls, a slight hint of Nazis, and a red-headed Sean Harris as Harry Price himself. Whisper a snivel dialogue like denial is the teat on which the beast will suckle, and you're well on your way toward sating a gothic horror fan's lifelong hunger for new films in the spirit of The Innocents, The Haunting, and Others. So, uh, 
Colette writes, uh, Price is a true person. Uh, I don't know about this mansion. Uh, well, it, I think it's actually a real place in England. Uh, Victorian mansion. I'm trying to see if they actually mention the name of the place. Uh, Borley Rectory. I know we have a lot of people from the UK. Is Borley Rectory an actual place or not? I have not personally heard of it. So let's see, looking at the top, holy, sh we're 52 minutes in already? <laughs> All right, well, you know, so much for our topic for tonight. I guess we'll have to reschedule that. I thought I was going to look at that clock and we're maybe 35, 40 minutes in. All right, let's just continue on with some news stories then. Uh, this underrated horror movie breaks the remake curse. The darker shift in Evil Dead's tone provides a great twist on the campy cult classic. Long before Sam Raimi signed on to direct the Marvel Cinema's Universe next Doctor Strange film, and even before he made waves with his Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies, he was a big name in the horror community for his Evil Dead series. A lot of people forget that that was Sam Raimi. The series began with a 1981 film called The Evil Dead, my opinion one of the scariest films out there, and there were two sequels as well as a very successful star series based on the main character called Ash vs. The Evil Dead. It's known very much as a cult classic with a lot of very hardcore fans, so one might think that any re reboot or remake would be torn apart. When they did release a reboot of the film in 2013, it ended up settling, setting an incredibly high bar for any future horror remakes. That Evil Dead remake in 2013 was really good. The original film is set in an isolated cabin in the woods, a group of college students headed by Bruce Campbell in his iconic role as Ash, are staying at the cabin and they find a copy of the Egyptian Book of the Dead called the Necronomicon. As they play the recording, it starts speaking a string of incantations. They shut it off, but it's not fast enough. Uh, they're just going through a synopsis of the Evil Dead. In 2013's Evil Dead takes nearly the same premise and it flips it on its head. The film is not goofy, kooky, or campy in the slightest. It maintains the gore, it maintains a very similar plot, but it makes these subtle changes that just turn it into something extremely scary and disturbing, which is what the people who remade Day of the Dead did not do. It was released as a soft reboot, so it's technically a sequel. But the vibe is a totally different situation. This fresh take is uh, achieved through both reworks of the plot and subtle changes to specific events in the original film. It's overall a very successful version of the story. Uh, and here are some, this is from the original film, the, the picture. The Evil Dead reboot takes the same premise of young adults in the woods and adds a darker spin on it. In this film, they aren't just on a holiday, but they are there to stay with the main character, Mia, as she goes through withdrawal from her heroin addiction in an attempt to get clean. 
They get to they go through the same plot point of finding the book, reading the incantations, and setting off the possessions. Evil Dead really does go through the same motions and hit the same beats as the original, but it makes some small changes that go a long way. Besides the obvious changes in plot, Evil Dead also changes the perspective. In the original film, the main character is Ash. Ash is the hero of the series. He appears in every Evil Dead work, including the reboot, and is almost always the character whose perspective the audience experiences. The reboot shifts, and the majority of perspectives on the film is from Mia. Mia is the character trying to get clean, and she is the first and main character who is possessed. Most of the focus is actually put on the characters who are possessed and doing some incredibly messed up, violent, and gory things. So there you guys have it. I swear I did not know the hour flew by so quickly. Uh, Gypsy writes, Drag Me to Hill was also good by him. Uh, Gypsy is also adding, I'm watching some horror movie on the earth. Uh, a horror movie called In the Earth on Friday. Emmy on Facebook writes, it was a very scary movie for me. And the original Evil Dead for me is, at least in my top 10 of films that scared me the most. Uh, it's just an amazing film. I loved it. Uh, Evil Dead 2 was more of a comedic spin on it. When I went into the theaters and I saw it in the theaters... It was not what I was expecting. As time went on, I've grown to appreciate it a lot more. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It's always a treat. If you want to be a part of our live audience, you can tune in Monday through Friday. We simultaneously live stream to YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter around 9.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. Also, visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com. You can see all of our featured episodes, upcoming guests, prior guests, and a whole lot more. I'll be back on the air again tomorrow night. Until then, stay safe and stay walking. Good night. Mm-hmm.